We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We hope your heart is still beating after a wild weekend in college basketball. What better time to talk bracketology than a Monday after a bunch of top seeds went down across the sport? It is the Monday after Super Bowl Sunday, and we are here on the Field of 68 to take you to college hoops and get you ready for March. I got Lucas Harkins with me. I got Brad Wachtel. These guys are two of the best bracketologists in the business. My name is Greg Waddell. Gentlemen, it's great to see you. Brad, been a couple of weeks since you and I have been together. Lucas, first time this year they've got us on a show. I'm looking forward to this, my friend. Uh, did you both have a good weekend? Brad, let's throw it your way first. How'd it go? I had a great weekend. Um, it was really... It- it was topped off by the Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs beating the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, huge Giants fan, so sorry, Eagles. Maybe next year. And sorry, producer Dagan as well. Lucas, uh, I don't know who you were rooting for in the Super Bowl, but uh, you got to see a nice little Butler win on Friday night. I know that's exciting. I did. Heck of a weekend. Always great to start a big weekend of sports with having Friday capped off for the win. Super Bowl Sunday, you know, I'm just trying to figure out who my Packers quarterback is going to be in the fall, and that's that's the number one priority. Well, listen, uh, I think that's enough football talk. We we had to toe into it a little bit after the Super Bowl, but there's Who's people in? across there's people across the country, guys, who are just going to like turn their head from NFL playoffs to oh, let's check in with college basketball, and this might be their very first moment of exposure to our beautiful sport that we know and love so well. So let's give them everything we need to know. We're going to get into uh, these guys' last four in, their first four out, who's on the bubble, an in-depth breakdown of the games you need to watch, teams you need to keep an eye on for this week. But first, let's start at the top, because as I alluded to, some of the best teams in the sport, teams that are competing to stay on the one-seed line, went down this past weekend. Lucas, I'll start with you. I mentioned it. You were at Butler against Xavier. Xavier, not necessarily close to the one line, but one of the top teams in the country. Uh, Purdue and Arizona teams that we did have on the one line last week went down as well. What was the most surprising result from that group and maybe the most impactful as you've been building out your bracket this morning? Yeah, you know, I think it's tough because so many teams lost. I think the biggest loss was probably Purdue losing Northwestern because it opens up that top seed. Um, And I think that probably goes to Alabama right now uh, as the number one overall seed. And I think that's probably the biggest switch. Otherwise, it was really a lot of movement throughout the bracket. I think, you know, going through a scrub um, earlier this morning, it it really feels like it was the hardest bracket to put together of the year so far. Just so much movement, but also at the same time, not much movement after what was a super busy weekend of just trying to sort out which loss matters more than the other loss. Uh, from top to bottom in the bracket. Yeah, it's like if everybody loses, does anybody really lose? Let's throw it your way, Brad. What's uh, What was your biggest, I guess, shocker? And then again, the most impactful that may have caused the most movement for you on your seed lines. I would say Arizona losing um, knocked them off the one line for me. Um, you know, they, their resume is still extremely strong, uh, but you know, eventually you can only lose so many games. And I, and I think that 
it's getting interesting between Arizona and UCLA, who for me, they're both two seeds at the moment, and they're both trying to be that that team from the Pac-12 to get a one seed. Um, and, and I think at this current moment, both have work to do to get there. Uh, but I do think Arizona is still in a better spot than UCLA. Ooh, Wildcats fans will love to hear that. Uh, we are going to get to our one seeds in just a few moments. I think there may, uh, may or may not. I won't tease it. I won't tell you. I won't spoil it. Been some dissension among our ranks this week. Uh, so we will get to that in just a few short seconds. But let's flip from the top to the bottom of teams looking to make the NCAA tournament. Let's talk the bubble because if there are going to be top teams that go down, there are going to be some teams that go up that really helped themselves with big shocking results. Uh, let's go to Brad first on this one. Who on the bubble really helped themselves the most this past weekend? Yeah, for, for me, it was four teams. Um, Mississippi State uh, winning at Arkansas. So Mississippi State was a team that I actually had fifth out uh, really on Friday. Um, and because the bubble was terrible um, all weekend, uh, they jumped in and they actually leapfrogged uh, the last four in for me. Um, Missouri winning at Tennessee. Now, Missouri is, I wouldn't call them a bubble team prior to this, but they were getting close. So winning at Tennessee really supplanted them as, as solidly and safely in at the moment. Uh, Northwestern obviously beating Purdue is huge. They have a, you know, Northwestern really has a nice resume uh, going for them. Um, and they put themselves in excellent position to reach the, the field of 68 as well. Um, and then finally, Oklahoma State at Iowa State, huge win for, for them. Um, had them about a 10 seed uh, going into that game. They're up to the 8-9 game for me right now. And they kind of had an excellent last couple of weeks to you know, catapult themselves into, into a good position to reach the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they uh they cracked the code at Iowa State, something that no other team had been able to do this season. Very impressive. Lucas, uh, I you were nodding along there as Brad was going through that. It looked like you agreed on some things. Anything uh, that you would add uh, that you feel differently on or anybody that deserves mention? Yeah, you know, I think those are the easy ones. I mean, not not like they're, they obviously had the best weekends to move up. Um, I actually had Oklahoma State leap all the way up to a seven. Um, I think the other thing I'll say is a byproduct, not necessarily of teams who got big wins, but a product of other teams losing games, you know, as, as teams towards the bubble lost a lot of games this weekend. Um, I think that opens up some things to create safer positioning. Um, I think particularly a team like Florida Atlantic, who's 24 and two um, they've been in that, in that single seed conversation for a while now, but having a bad week from the bubble because um, Florida Atlantic doesn't have the opportunities that other teams have down the stretch here. And those other teams failing in those games uh, creates a little bit more separation for Florida Atlantic, I would say the same about Nevada, um, who picked up a big win over New Mexico earlier in the week. They moved themselves into safer position simply by not losing. Um, and I would say even a team like North Texas has kind of crept into the really back end of the bubble conversation. Uh, the six-game winning streak right now, including a sweep of UAB, they've kind of pushed themselves into like, oh, well, maybe if they finish the regular season strong, they're into that first eight to eight to 12 teams outfield. Yeah, couple couple smaller school teams that I think are just licking not their losing. chops. Right, they're benefiting, which is good. I, I mean, we talked, I think last week, I forget who I was on with, but um, what, my biggest question was, is Florida Atlantic going to get screwed here? That's my biggest fear. Like, I don't want to see that team miss this opportunity with how good they've been this year, just because of a couple uh, very small off nights when they've been so consistent over the course of the season. But um, all right. We talked about some teams that have helped themselves. One team I have my eye on that has hurt themselves is Kentucky. And if the small schools are licking their chops, that means there are some big schools, some blue bloods, not a Wisconsin Badgers blue blood either, by the way. That is really, really hurting right now. Kentucky suffers two losses last week. North Carolina, another team, they, they bounced back and got the big win over Clemson over the weekend, but they've been flirting with the bubble. Uh, Lucas, how, how in danger is Kentucky at this point to you? And are the other Blue Bloods right behind? Yeah, I think they're in real danger. Uh, they're one of my last teams in the field right now. Um, I think they're in a really tough spot. They have one quad one win all the year. Uh, their resume metrics have trended towards the 50 range which is to me, I look at if your resume metrics are around 50, you're pretty much smack dab on the cut line almost every year. And that's where they are right now. But one and seven in quad one, six and one in quad four. 
Uh, I think it's realistic to, to see Kentucky miss the field. They're just on the plus side for me right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if anyone put them on the outside. Uh, North Carolina does have that win they picked up, and they have definitely better metrics overall than Kentucky does. But, again, zero quad one wins for the Tar Heels, and that's something that definitely needs to get remedied moving forward. Brad, you agree with that on Kentucky? 100%. 100%. All right. We'll uh, we'll get more to the bubble. We'll talk some specific teams here in just a little bit with these guys' last four in, last or first four out, excuse me. But let's go to your official one seeds now. Uh, we're just going to bring in our consensus fielding the 68 one seeds today. This is comprised of both Lucas and Brad's rankings, as well as our other expert bracketologists on the panel that you will see in a rotating cast on this very show. We've got Alabama with the number one overall top seed. They have jumped past Purdue following Purdue's loss to Northwestern. Purdue holding down the second spot. Houston third. Kansas fourth. The Jayhawks rise back up to the one seed line uh, uh previously occupied i believe last week by arizona so let's go to you first brad first of all uh is this your consensus top four and uh is there much of a a jump between those top two alabama and purdue that feel like they might have some space alone where they're comfortable on the one line versus the two teams beneath them that are fighting to hold on to a one seed I think there's still a little bit of space, uh, but not nearly as much as there was, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Purdue is is starting to get a little bit concerning for me, uh, just because when you look at who they've beaten, obviously they have great wins. Their resume speaks for itself, but they don't have the the top tier wins that some of these other potential one seats have. Like Alabama, one at Houston, Houston, you know, Kansas, every, everyone's got top, top end wins. Purdue is, you know, for a while, they just had one loss and they kind of just, you know, we're the, we're the number one over, overall seed based on quantity. Um, you know, they're not a lot to, to be a number one. Um, so that's, I think that's something they need to recognize. They got to play well down the stretch um, in order to keep that one seed. Um, and also, you know, with, with Kansas getting off of that one seed line for me, like I said before, Arizona dropped off due to their loss. Uh, Kansas has the most quad one plus quad two wins in the country, um, which matters, um, which is why they're my, my final uh, number one seed at the moment. Okay, let's throw it over to Lucas. Lucas, what are your general thoughts on this top four? Yeah, I, I'm with uh, I'm with it on, on Alabama jumping over Purdue for a similar reason. I think part of that is, as we've gone throughout the year, Purdue's wins generally um, have lost a little bit of their luster. Like Gonzaga's not quite what it was. Duke's not what it was. Ohio State's taken a huge hit. Penn State's taken a huge hit. And those are really their biggest wins up through mid-January. Um, so since then, they've really, you know, just kind of stayed the course and they're still in a one seed line, but they they aren't in perfect position on the one line. And I'll have Alabama as my number one overall spot. But And I do think there's a little bit of a, a gap between uh, Purdue and my third number one, which is Kansas. Um, I think Kansas deserves to be the third number one right now. They have two more quad one wins than anybody in the country. They have more than double the quad one wins Houston has. But really, when it comes down to breaking down Kansas versus Houston right now, they're pretty different in how you look at the two teams. And I think it's going to come down to kind of what the committee tells us on Saturday when they do their top 16 reveal. If they have Kansas in front of Houston, then I think you can make a case throughout the field that there's more pre- that there's more of a priority on getting those quality wins this year whereas if they go houston above kansas there's a bit more preference towards those really 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 strong metrics as houston's number one the net and number one across all three quality metrics yeah i uh to go back to the purdue conversation a little bit so i'm a big 10 guy that anybody who's watched me or listened to me before probably knows by now but it's been fascinating watching them because uh, i've seen them in person a couple times they're obviously a great team one of the best in the country but you don't get a ton of opportunities in this Big Ten this season to really boost that resume and go up against the quote unquote other elite teams. There are none. So right, right now, except who? They can't play themselves. <laughs> they can't play themselves, right? Except for uh, whatever they're they're in the practice gym, right? So they're they're zero and two against top twenty five teams in conference play this year. They've only had two games. One of them was at home against Rutgers. One of them was against Indiana in Assembly Hall. They lost both. 
And looking ahead, they've got a couple opportunities. They've got Indiana and Illinois both still on the schedule. That Illinois game, final week of the regular season, could actually have some Big Ten implications, depending on what happens in the next two weeks before then. Uh, But very fascinating because I think kind of both them and Alabama, while we talk about them as maybe the group of top two to me right now, um, just looking at who they've played in the conference, they haven't really gone up against any monsters because there aren't as many as there typically might be in the conference. They both have a few big ones down the stretch that certainly if they don't go the right way could cause some more movement. If Houston and Kansas keep winning Lucas, just quickly, who is uh, right below this top four for you? Who's the closest to, to getting into that group of the one seeds? Yeah. Yeah. Texas is my top two right now. Uh, they're 11 and five across the upper two quadrants, nine and five and quad one. They only have one loss all season that's outside of quad one. A their six quad one, a wins might actually lead the country. If I'm correct, they're top 10 across every metric. I think they're pretty solidly on the two right now. Um, and probably the top threat for me to get on the one line, uh, other two Samir, UCLA, Baylor and Arizona. Okay. Brad, what about you? For me, it's actually Arizona. You know, losing to Stanford on the road is not a good loss, but the reality is it's only a quadrant two loss. Um, and they still lead the country at five and zero against high quadrant one teams. They're still eleven and three against quadrant one and two teams. Um, and really, you know, like like I had mentioned before with UCLA, comparing those two teams, UC who a lot of people might have UCLA ahead of them right now. UCLA has one win over the field right now um, for me, and that's at Maryland. And they, they they blew them out of the water. And UCLA is a very good team. Don't get me wrong. But your resume is your resume, and it doesn't quite beat what Arizona is at the moment for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I've pointed to that exact sentence you just said about UCLA a couple times when I'm giving out my my favorite picks of the day. I'm like, have we seen them beat anybody that's going to play in March yet? Uh, luckily for them, Maryland has turned it around because for a while that wasn't even looking like it was a team safely in the field. So fascinating stuff. I have a feeling this will not be the last time this moves over the next month and a half to end this regular season. Uh, and there are certainly a lot of teams Given the parity of this sport and the lack of a truly elite team at the top this year, there's a big group that could work their way in uh, and maybe get some help from the teams above them, including those four teams that we agree right now are on the one line. Before we go to bubble talk, we're going to hear these guys last four in and their first four out. Before we get there, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors. Let me tell you guys about our sponsor for today's episode, Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 a few weeks back. When we get in the middle of college hoop season, it can be hard for me to eat and drink as healthy as I probably should be, especially in late February and March when the schedule gets really busy. But I found that I've felt better as I've made AG1 a part of my daily routine. I take AG1 in the afternoons after the coffee is worn off and once the itis post-launch is kind of set in. And what I found, my energy levels are up. It's improved my digestion. And as a result, I'm not only more efficient and productive in the most important time of the year for me and for the field of 68, but I'm working out more consistently. I just feel better. AG1 is so much more than just a greens powder. It's comprehensive health and the power of habit in one. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally could not be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of the AG1 formula with water, and I drink it every single afternoon. Done. Just like that. I also like that it only costs $3 a day. The price is right. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is the answer. They are giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Free! Just go to athleticgreens.com backslash field 68. That's athleticgreens.com backslash field 68. The link is in the description below. Check it out. Support the field of 68. I said a word from our sponsors. I should have meant a word about our sponsors from the lovely Rob Doster. Thank you, Rob, for those very kind words. Let's move to the bubble. We're going to start with the last four in, and we're going to start with Lucas. Who you got for your last four teams in the field today? So my last four in, I have Texas A&M as my fourth to last team. Um, obviously, they didn't have a good start to the season, six and five with those losses to Murray State and Wofford. But since then, they've really picked things up. They're up. They're ten and two in SEC play. And while the the conference record doesn't really matter much, what does is those that season sweep of Auburn um, gives them a couple wins over the field, uh, which puts them into pretty good shape to be on the cut line right now. Um, I put them just on the inside after those wins over Auburn and LSU last week. Uh, follow that up with North Carolina, obviously picked up the win against Clemson, 
um, this weekend, but they're 0-8 in quad one. That really puts them in a difficult spot, but their metrics are quite solid to keep themselves uh, in a decent spot right now, heading into two of their next three coming on the road um, with a big home opportunity up against Miami tonight. Uh, into, into Lexington, uh, lost to Georgia, doesn't do anybody any good, and certainly doesn't Kentucky, um, who has metrics that have fallen off a bit as of late. And their overall record quality just isn't very strong. They're sitting right near the cut line. New Mexico, I left in as my last team in the field. They've lost four or five, their last three in a row. This is a team that's trending very close to just falling out of the field. But for the time meeting, their time being, their resume metrics are still on the plus side of things. They're five and three in the upper two quadrants. Two of their wins are in quad one A. Uh, that's what keeps them in the mix right now. But they are probably the the team that I'm least confident in being in the field if the selection show was right now. So I want to pick your brain on New Mexico just quickly because it's a team that I am glad I see in the field because I love watching them. Uh, They did not have Jalen House in this most recent loss to Air Force, but they've now lost three straight games, four of their last five. Uh, I guess I'm a bit surprised because just off counting numbers alone, when I think of a team in the Mountain West Conference who's now in the middle of the pack in that conference and has six losses – right around where a a team in a more quote unquote, more traditionally competitive conference like the sec or the ACC with North Carolina and Kentucky. I just assumed New Mexico would be far below them on the list. Obviously that's not the case with you today, but um, does that speak to the strength of the mountain West conference in your eyes? Do we almost have to view that as if it is a high major conference this year when evaluating teams? You know, I think they put themselves in pretty good position as a conference Um, because they have some teams that have really solid metrics overall. Um, San Diego State and Boise State are in really good shape. New Mexico has wins over both. Um, Not to mention a road win over St. Mary's that is carrying a lot more value than that would in most years. Um, I mean, that's a win at number six in the net. Um, That carries a significant weight and puts them still in the mix. Uh, But I think this is a team that really has to finish really, really strong. They're trending in the wrong direction, obviously. But unlike some years when a team trends the wrong direction in the Mountain West, there's opportunities left. They go at Boise State and they get San Diego State at home left. Uh, those are both quad one opportunities. Um, and if they can get those games, they'd be up to seven and three in the upper two quadrants. They'd be five and three in quad one. Uh, that'd keep them on the right side. But as of now, I think, they, I think they're probably right on the 50-50 range right now, but a team that I wouldn't feel very confident in thinking that they're still going to be in the field in a month. 50-50 in reality, 100-0 in my heart, Lucas. Brad, let's go to you next. Uh, let's get your last four in. Do you disagree with anything Lucas had here for us? We have one different, um, and, and my order is a little bit different as well. I actually have New Mexico as um, fourth from, from being out, and like you had mentioned, their record against quad one and two opponents, which is five and three. Um, their net is still top 50. Uh, but most importantly, they own two of the best wins of, of all of the other bubble teams, um, for the most part. Um, winning at San Diego State, winning at St. Mary's um, is huge. Uh, but like Lucas had mentioned, their metrics are not very good. And they're another bad loss away from being out of the field, which, which like you said, is unfortunate. Uh, Texas A&M, I have in... Um, I don't want to say begrudgingly because their resume is not particularly great, but they're 500 against Q1 and 2, which is okay. Um, They're top 50, they're top 40 in the net, which is good. Um, And they have a 46 strength of record. Um, Far from safe, though. Um, I have North Carolina as well, who beat Clemson, which is actually just a Q2 win. Um, So it doesn't didn't do a whole lot for their resume, but they kind of got bumped up into my field because everybody else lost and their metrics are better than everybody else's. Um, But they have a lot of opportunities to go with the rest of their schedule uh, to really get safer into the field. And then my last in might be a little bit of a surprise, but Wisconsin, who did fall to 80 in the net. So if the season were to end today, they would be the worst net to ever get in. But they lost at Nebraska, bad loss. But you have to understand, again, It's a Q2 loss, so you can't discount the rest of their resume. They have five Q1 wins. They're one of the only bubble teams that doesn't have a bad bad loss. Top 50 strength of record. And when you look at their wins at Marquette, at Iowa, and they beat a team that's on the other side of the bubble for me on a neutral court in USC, kind of lifted them into the field for me for the time being. 
So I think you said this earlier in the show briefly, Brad, and I was waiting until this moment to bring it back up. You alluded to this being one of the weakest bubbles in a while. Uh, Seeing Wisconsin in at this point seems to drive that home for me as a Big Ten guy. Just from eye test alone, I know that's not what gets teams in the tournament. I mean, this team has not beaten anybody other than Ohio State, who's completely dead, and Penn State, who's almost completely dead, going back almost two months now. They've lost to every other type of team they've played. I know that doesn't matter, but I guess to tie your your comment about it being a very weak bubble back into the fact that Wisconsin's in the field right now, does that sort of speak to how weak this bubble really is? Yeah, and I, and I feel like we say the same thing every single year. I was hopeful a couple of weeks ago that the bubble was going to be strong this year, but it's back to being a weak bubble, and you're really picking at straws with all these resumes. But it's your total resume. It's your total season. What you did the last month or two is just as important as what you did three months ago. Wisconsin's over 500 on the road. They won at Marquette. Uh, they won at Iowa a while ago. Um, so they're, they still what you're doing is you're comparing them against every other team. So it's not, it's not just in a vacuum and it's not like every single year. Well, this team got in with this resume. It's not like that. You're looking at every team, comparing them to every other bubble team and figuring out who deserves to be in over who. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, a loss in December to central Michigan still matters as much as winning three of your last four in big 10 play. That's what they tell me. Uh, all right, let's check out our consensus last four in, and then we'll just sort of open up the floor for both of you guys to, to say what surprises you hear a mix of teams that you both had in and out here. Uh, Lucas, anything, I mean, that just jumps out as this is, this is wrong from this group for you. No, you know, I think all these teams, I mean, I have three of these teams in the field. Uh, I think there's a few I don't love having in the field, and I think that speaks to what we're talking about with regards to how quickly the bubble has fallen off. I mean, it's not that often you'll see a team with zero quad one ones, quad one wins, grabbing at large bid, and that's where North Carolina is right now. You'd be hard-pressed to see a team have as poor a non-conference performance against a not-very-good non-conference strength schedule as Texas A&M be in the field. Um, nor a New Mexico team that's lost four of its last five in the Mountain West. There's a whole lot going on here that's just not great at the cut line right now, but I have no major gripes with what uh, our group has consensusly averaged to. It's a beautiful sport. Just certain crevices can be gross sometimes. And right now the bubble's a little gross, you guys. We've got some weeks to turn this around. Maybe some teams will make a run, but right now it's a little gross. And we're going to go from the good side to the grosser side of the bubble. Now, the first four out, we'll throw it back to Brad here. Let's get your first four out teams as of Monday, February 13th. Yep. So my first four teams out first is USC, who had a bad loss over the weekend. Um, You know, they're a team that I thought was getting safer about 10 days ago. And that changed. Um, things change on a weekly basis, on a daily basis sometimes. Uh, USC is just two and four against Q1 opponents. They got two bad losses and they're under 500 road neutral. Uh, next up, I have Clemson, uh, who was my last team in uh, on Friday. Uh, they didn't have a bad loss per se at North Carolina, but it is a loss against a fellow bubble team. And what happened to their resume is some of their other numbers got a little uh, changed a little bit based on other results. Uh, Clemson is now um, under 500 against Q1 opponents. Um, They have more bad losses than they have Q1 wins. So for people asking, you know, why is Clemson not in the field? They're they're so they're 10 and four in the ACC, seven and four Q1 and two. That's the reason why they're not in the field. Um, next up, I have Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky is top 50 in the net. You know, that's what's good on their resume, but they're one in seven Q1, which is awful. Their one win was at Tennessee, which is very good, but not as good as it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and they're under 500 against Q1 and two opponents. And of course, Kentucky also has a, has a bad loss on their resume too. Um, and then finally, Arizona State, who actually creeped up my board a little bit. Uh, over the weekend, based on other results, uh, they are three and two against Q1, nine and four road neutral. Uh, they only have one win over a current uh, at-large team, and that's Creighton, um, which is a very good win. Uh, so they are back in the uh, first four out with with room to grow. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I want to go back to USC just briefly, and then we'll get Lucas's answer here. Uh, that's one that actually caught me a little bit by surprise today. I didn't get to see this uh, before we actually go live on the show. So you're getting my natural reaction here, folks. USC, I don't think we've really talked about much, at least in the last week that I've been on the show. Uh, a team that felt pretty safely in. Obviously a horrible week for them. Lose at Oregon two days later. Lose at Oregon State. That's not good results. But does that speak to, I guess, how much you could actually move on this version of this week bubble because it does feel like a week ago they weren't even in the conversation of worrying about this and now all of a sudden they're out of your field as of today just two games later that surprises me that's what it is and and really it's it's based on what what league you play like if you're in the big 12 and you're a bubble team you're probably not moving very much but the pac 12 yes they have some top end really good teams but a, a large portion of the pac 12 isn't particularly great so if you're losing to a, a team that's a Q2, a Q3, that's going to drop you significantly. That's a, that's a, especially a Q3. That's going to drop you, uh, which is the problem. So the bad losses hurt you just as much as good wins hurt you. And if you have one bad week where you go 0-2, you could be out of the field. Yeah, crazy, but accurate. And again, USC, a team that uh, has kind of been close, but no cigar this year, went to overtime with Tennessee on a neutral. If that Results swings. We're not talking about them right now. Lose by five to Wisconsin on a neutral. Lose by two at UCLA. They've had a lot of very competitive games. Uh, a good basketball team that I do ultimately think will find a way to make the NCAA tournament, but clearly they still have work to do. All right, Lucas, it is your turn. Give us your first four out. Yeah, my first team out is Oregon. Um, I think they're one of those teams that just, yes, they suffered a loss over the weekend, but it was to a projected number two seed in UCLA. Um, whereas there were a lot of other teams around them that suffered worse losses. Uh, they're eight and nine against the upper two quadrants for those wins in each. Uh, they do have two quad three losses hanging out, but that's really not that bad compared to the rest of the bubble right now. There's a lot of teams with that type of, that type of bad loss. Their metrics are all in the top 50, except for, except for strength of record. They're up in the top 40 in Sagarin. I think they put themselves in the conversation with a closing stretch that I think is pretty daunting, though. Three, their next three games are all on the road. They're going to need at least two of those, I think. Um, they have no more games against the projected fields. They're going to have to finish very strong um, to get in the field, but I think they put themselves in the mix. Uh, USC is my second team out. Similar conversation as as was already discussed with them. I think they're in a spot that has some opportunities. They still get Arizona at home. Four out of their final six are at home, but those two road games are the dreaded, the dreaded Pac-12 road trip to Colorado and Utah that no one really likes to do. Um, but I think they've dropped out of that area for safely in the field, although they are a plus seven and six, seven and six against the upper two quadrants. I have them just barely falling out of the field right now. Wisconsin's my third team out. Um, I know we were mentioned earlier that they were above 500 on the road. They aren't anymore after the loss to Nebraska. Um, they're four and five on the road now. Um, I think that they put themselves in a spot that's difficult. They're under 500 against the upper three quadrants. They're nine and 10 in those games on a year. Uh, they're 80th in the net, which we already mentioned would be the lowest to ever make the field. I believe second would be Rutgers last year at 77. Um, they have one metric in the top 50 overall. Um, and that puts them in a really tricky spot uh, to get into the field. Although as we've talked about at length on this, on this in the past, the big 10 has just so many opportunities to pick up games Four out of their next five are at home. Big opportunity for them to move themselves back into the field. 
But as you mentioned earlier, Greg, they're a team that's not playing particularly well right now. Um, and there's no, and there's nothing tougher than winning games to Big Ten right now. Uh, my last, my fourth team out is Utah State. They're just kind of hanging on because their metrics are very solid. Um, back-to-back losses puts them in a very tough spot, but they still get Nevada at home and Boise State at home, two potential tournament teams um, for them to get some wins that they need. And I think they need to probably win out the regular season to get back in the field. Um, but their metrics are in a decent spot to stay in the mix. Uh, they're 37th in the net and they're 33rd in KPI. Yeah, I want to pick your brain more on Utah State. This is back-to-back Mountain West questions for me, Lucas. I'm, I apologize if we're fixating too much on this conference. but So uh, you had New Mexico uh, in. You have Utah State out. Utah State has a head-to-head win over New Mexico. Uh, obviously, that that's not the end-all, be-all here, but what separates Utah State in a negative way from New Mexico? Really, it's just quality wins. I mean, we talked about New Mexico having two of the best wins in the field right now. Um, or at least in the bubble right now, and that, that definitely separates them. They have two quad 1A wins. Utah State doesn't have a quad 1 win, period. Uh, that's really the difference. Also, New Mexico's three losses outside of quadrant 1 and 2 are both in quad, are all in quadrant 3. Utah State's two losses are quad 4. I don't think I think they're pretty far apart from each other right now, personally. Okay, good to know. All right, let's get our consensus first four out, uh, and then we will again, once uh, once again, open it up to you guys for any sort of commentary. I guess, Brad, let's throw it your way as we see it on the screen here. We've got Kentucky, USC, Clemson, and Oregon as our experts' consensus first four teams out. Uh, Brad, Lucas had Oregon out as well. I'm curious where you have the Ducks. Where, where does Oregon stand for you? Oregon is actually my fifth team out. Um, I agree with everything Lucas had to say uh, about the Ducks. Um, they have, they missed out on a huge opportunity that would have put them in the field for me had they beaten UCLA. Um, but there, there aren't that many opportunities ahead of them um, with, with their remaining schedule. So they, they really missed out. That would have been huge for them. Um, and then one other team we haven't discussed that, you know, on the opposite end of like UCLA plummeted, uh, a team like Mississippi State. And Lucas, I don't know where you have them. We're in the same um, but, spot. We both have them fifth to last in. Yeah. So they, they went from being, you know, for me, fifth team out to solidly not even in the last four in right now. So we didn't even discuss them. Um, they had one at, at Arkansas, uh, no bad losses on the season. So they, they leapfrogged a bunch of teams because you know what? Everybody else lost. And Mississippi State is one of the teams that benefited the most over the course of the weekend. Wow. All right, a little bit of agreement there from Lucas and Brad. Uh, clearly, used to it. <laughs> clearly a lot of movement on the bubble. Again, as a fan of a team who is far away from the bubble in a negative way, I'm excited that there can still be movement. Maybe there is hope after all, gentlemen. Uh, there's a couple teams specifically I want to talk about, and then we'll open it up for the chat. Anybody who's watching us, fire away your questions in the YouTube chat and click subscribe for us on the Field of 68 channel while you're doing that so you don't miss any episodes of Fielding the 68 every Monday and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Let's start with Northwestern. Storm the court, Chris Collins, has really turned things around. I mean, just in the past offseason, if you would have told me that Northwestern was anywhere close to the bubble, I would have called you a liar and slammed the door in your face. And now here they are, I think, safely in the tournament at this point. Lucas, what is Northwestern's ceiling right now? They're 9-5 and five in the Big Ten, looking like the second-best team in that conference. How rise or How high can they rise up the rankings here on the seed lines? Yeah, I've got Northwestern up to an eight seed. I think that they can't get too much higher than that, probably up towards maybe a six. Uh, what really drags them down is a near 300 non-conference strength of schedule. They're 297 there. Um, as a result, they're just 10 and seven against the upper three quadrants. They're eight and oh in quad four. Uh, it's a really big quantity of your wins filtering towards the bottom. Um, I think that they're probably in that range of a six to eight seed. Brad, you agree there? I do agree. The only thing I, I somewhat disagree with is is what they have remaining um, on their schedule. I mean, Northwestern, they play Indiana still. They play Iowa. They play at Illinois, at Maryland, Penn State, and at Rutgers. Now, are they going to finish strong? I don't I don't, I don't know. That's where I'm less actually going to It could really work <laughs> against them. And they can really – Okay. The realistic ceiling, if they win all six games, is higher than a six seed. If Northwestern goes twenty-four and seven, though, you can, you can come back to this and say I was wrong. Of of course, no, and and I and I don't think that that's going to happen. But what I'm saying is, 
the opportunities are yes. there for them. Whereas some teams that may be in their position don't have the quite quite as many opportunities. So yeah. look, if they if they can continue to catch fire and win a bunch of these games, yeah, I mean that this they can move up a ton. Um, but but like I said before, it could it could have the opposite you know effect on them as well. With that said, they're only over my I you have Wisconsin in the field. I don't. But Northwestern's only win over a tournament team since January eighth is Purdue on Sunday. That's the Schmedium ten for you though, Lucas. I mean, we're we're really trying to scrape a conference together this year. It hasn't been going too well. I'm wearing my uh, faded purple for Northwestern today. Congratulations, Chris Collins. Put some respect purple, on Boo Booey's name. Uh, all right. So I, I guess just to quickly flip that, I don't want to spend too much time on Northwestern, but I'm genuinely curious after hearing <laughs> you guys talk about it. With such a tough schedule down the stretch, how much can they hurt themselves? Like, it, it, let's say they lose all these games we think they might lose to teams that are just objectively metrically better. Are they in danger of potentially missing the field because they lose at Rutgers and to Indiana in the next couple weeks? Look, if you if you lose all the games at six games remaining on their schedule, uh, that's not good. <laughs> let's put it that way. They'll be they they probably won't get in, but I think with one or two more wins, they'll be in. Um, to be, especially with who you're playing, none of those would be a bad loss. Uh, they're, they're, like I said, they're safely in at the moment. So I really don't have too many worries about them. They cannot go under 500 on the road this season. Fun fact. They're four and one, they're four and one on the road with three road games left. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, wins at Assembly Hall, uh, at the Breslin Center, at the Cole Center. Who would have thought Chris Collins and Chase Audige would be doing this? But you got to love to see it. All right, let's go to the SEC here. Auburn, uh, they have lost five of their last six. A team that at one point safely in the field, safely in the top 25 in the country. Now, maybe not. Getting dicier by the day. Is there a realistic world where Auburn misses the NCAA tournament, Brad? Absolutely. 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 Um, they're just two and six against Q1 opponents uh, at the moment. Uh, their best win was against Northwestern on a neutral court at this point, you can say. They beat Arkansas and Mississippi State at home, which are which are good wins, but they're at home. Um, their upcoming schedule, they still play Missouri at Kentucky, at Alabama, and they play Tennessee. So the opportunities are there for to improve to improve their seed a good amount, but you know. Who have they beaten so far? Are they going to Are they going to win these games? I think the jury is still out. Uh, I'm not sold on them um, until they beat somebody away from home that's quality. Like even even a win at Kentucky would be a, a nice win for them. Uh, but by no means are the way they Vandy's safe. playing the way Vandy's playing right now. That might be a good one. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Vanderbilt was uh, in talks to be the team of the week from the field of 68 this week. Ultimately, it did go to Northwestern. They were runner up, but we'll see if Jerry Stackhouse can uh, keep the Commodores in the conversation going forward. Uh, All right. One more team on my list here, Lucas. We'll go to you here on this one. Providence, the Friars, the luckiest team in the country last year. You're just trying to get me in trouble. Has the luck worn out? Lucas, I mean, th- where are they right now? First of all, on your seed list, they're trending down, but are, are they safely in? Where is Providence in the picture? You know, I dropped Providence to a 10 seed um, after this weekend. They've put themselves in a tough situation. Uh, the back-to-back road losses to Xavier and St. John's sandwiched around a win over Georgetown. They haven't beaten a tournament team since January 4th uh, when they beat UConn. It's been a long time since they beat a team that really helps their resume. Uh, they're below 500 in the upper two quadrants, with only five total wins against those teams with a quad three loss. Their metrics are solid, not great. Um, you know, it, it's weird. It's a weird twist of fate that this year they're kind of relying metric wise on the quality metrics compared to last year. Uh, they're top 35 in all three of those, whereas they're 55th in KPI. Um, I think they're going to need a nice finish to stay on the plus side, but I think the big tent, the big East gives them those opportunities. Um, they should finish this year relatively solid Four out of their last six games are at home. Uh, with a road game at Georgetown, which is quite winnable. They should probably go four and two down the stretch and make the field. Okay. Brad, your thoughts? Yeah. One thing we have to remind everybody, conference record doesn't matter. So even though Providence is still towards the top of the Big East, um, I have them as my last eight seed, and I thought I was being generous to them. So I have no issues with where Lucas has them. Um, they only they have two two wins. One non-conference win over a Ken Palm top 200 team. Yeah, they only have two wins over at-large teams at the moment, and that's UConn and Marquette. Um, they're under 500 Q1A, 
They're under 500 Q1. They're under 500 Q1 and Q2. Um, and they still have opportunities, though. They still play Creighton at UConn and Xavier. And I, I will mention, they still have to play at Georgetown, which is a game that if you lose that game and you don't, you know, win those other games, well, now you're in trouble for, make, for making the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. Sounds like a dangerous game to me. Uh, they need the the luck that they had last year to come oh, back no. into play. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You can buy a shirt, okay? Fieldo68.shop. We got the little shamrock over the Friars. It's a very nice shirt. Terrence Oglesby approves of it. You should too, Lucas. Go to Fieldo68.shop to see more. Let's bring in producer Dagan. Uh, Dagan, we got anything going on in the chat? Tell me we got people Ooh. asking questions for these guys. We do. First of all, let's start with this chat. Hit the like button. 185 people on 20 likes. Let's, let's get that like number up um, a little bit. Uh, but first question we're going to ask, I mean, I couldn't couldn't pass this one up. Uh, Steven wants to know, uh, does Seton Hall have any chance to be in the discussion? Obviously, tough week for the Pirates. But I got to ask because, you know, they are my Pirates at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, uh, Seton Hall definitely has the opportunity to be in this discussion because I know they still have – they still play some games against quality opponents at home. Um, I believe they still have to play – uh, Xavier, and Xavier I know they, they go... They go at UConn, at Providence. They get at UConn and at Providence. So obviously, if you can, if they can get one of those road games, that would be enormous for them. Um, but I think taking care of business at home is first and foremost so important for them. And with the way the bubble struggled over the course of the weekend, they're not as far out as you might think. Yeah, I agree. I think they're nice somewhere in that 8 to 12 teams out for me right now. Uh, they're one of those teams, though, that can seal their fate this week. If you lose at home to Georgetown, it's probably over. Agree. A lot of pressure on the Pirates. Uh, what uh, else we got, Dagan? Really, really hope that doesn't that doesn't happen. Really hope for my my sake. <laughs> that would be a, a rough week for me. Uh, Indiana's ceiling. <laughs> we haven't talked about them um, much. Where do you guys see them kind of working? They finish up. They've obviously been trending upward recently. I have a hard time believing Indiana can get to the two line, but I do think they can get to a three. Um, they have opportunities left. They go at Northwestern, at Michigan State, at Purdue. The home games are all against good teams, um, Iowa and Illinois, and then, I don't know, some bad team, Michigan. I don't know. I don't know who would root for them. Uh, sorry, Greg. Sorry. Oh, that, was, that was just blindsided. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> but Indiana's put themselves in a pretty good shape. Uh, every single metric in the top 20, they're 8-7 and seven in the upper two quadrants, no bad losses. Uh, I have them sitting at, as my top – as my top five seed right now, I think they could potentially get to the ladder after the three line, um, especially if they pick up a signature win uh, at home against Michigan. <laughs> Thank you. You really swung that around for me. I, uh, just... I would agree just with just about everything there. Uh, they are my top five seed. I think they can get onto the three line if they continue to play hot down the stretch, because it just seems like a lot of these three seeds, four seeds, five seeds, people are losing teams are getting shuffled around. So there is, there is room for movement for them. You guys are crazy. Indiana's the best team in the country. Any team that plays them within a one possession game, I mean, they should be safely in the tournament, in my True. opinion. Dagan, anything else? Yeah. Um, Creighton, obviously a team that started off slow. Where can you guys see them finishing up? Um, I'm going to call all said done. Go ahead. Dad. Yeah. I, I have Creighton right now as a five seed, and they're one of those teams, again, that, you know, their, their predictive metrics are so much better than their, you know, result based metrics. But, you know, they're probably the best team in the Big East right now. Um, I think they could be the probably the maybe the favorites win the Big East tournament at this point. Maybe a little bit of a stretch, but since they, you know, since they've been 100% healthy or relatively healthy, um, they're one of the best teams in the country in, in my mind. So I think they're still going to be underseeded. I think they can get up to similar to Indiana, maybe a three seed, probably a four seed realistically. Uh, based on the quality of wins that they have and the amount of quality that they could add to their resume. Um, but they're definitely going to be a team that I think is going to be still underseeded come tourney time. Yeah, I think they can get to a three seed too. They're my second five. They're actually just behind um, Indiana. I think the thing for me is, as Brad already mentioned with their, with their quality metrics, if you want to buy into predictive metrics here, Creighton's projected to win each of its last six games. Um, if they win all six of those games, that picks up a home win over Marquette. They pick up road wins over Providence, St. John's, and Villanova, and DePaul. All of a sudden, their road record will be off the charts good. Their metrics will be all top 10, probably. 
Um, I think that's a team that could really threaten um, for a three seed, especially if you just want to even take a look at just playing without Ryan Kalkbrenner versus playing with Ryan Kalkbrenner. They went 0-3 without him. Um, if they get to the point where they end the season with only five or six losses with him in the lineup, um, I think they're going to be a hard team to keep off of a, off of a protected seed in the top four. I was going to say 17 and five with Ryan Kalkbrenner healthy this season. That's pretty impressive. All right, Dagan, one final question, and then we'll wrap up with these guys. All right, well, we'll do one final one. Uh, Brady, our guy Brady in the chat, wants to know, this is kind of where we were going with the Auburn conversation. What team has been comfortably in all year but is trending towards missing the tournament? It's probably Providence for me. I would have said USC, but they've already fallen out of my field. <laughs> I would agree with Providence. Um, Boise State is an interesting one. Um, Boise State doesn't. Oh, North really Carolina, bad. North Carolina, or Kentucky, either one of those two. <laughs> I, I would say Boise State. You know, their their metrics are strong. They're top thirty in the net, but they don't have the type of wins that say a New Mexico has. Um, and I feel like they're they've hovered around like the 10, 11 seed for me and. You know, if they have a bad loss soon, it's it's going to get dicey for them. So I, I do think that they could end up on the outside looking in. And it's, it's unfortunate because we want to see mid-majors in the field. We don't want all these mid-majors to be out. You know, it's just, you could say it's not fair that the level of competition is different. But the reality is they don't own the wins that some of these other bubble teams do. Um, so they, they're going to need to play well down the stretch to keep that bid. Yeah, I think there's a few teams like that. When you mention Auburn, I look towards the Auburn side of um, where I have things in the bracket. They're pretty close to Providence for me. But Boise State's a good shout. North Carolina, Kentucky are on the way. North Mexico's on the way. USC's already dropped out of the field. For, for me, Wisconsin's out of the field for the first time in the last week and a half. This is when they've kind of fallen off. Clemson's moved to the outside of the field for me. Um, there's a lot of those teams that have kind of felt in good position to fall off. And if you're a team like, as we already mentioned earlier, if you're a team like Florida Atlantic, you are just – feeling great about how those teams have fallen. I have one follow-up for these guys, and then we'll get to our games. To I, I also have one more when you're done with your follow-ups. Okay. Great, so. so we talked North Carolina, Kentucky, Lucas, they just got a shout from you. We talked about both earlier in the show. Uh, how far away safely in is Duke? Because Duke went 0-2 last week. I know they've got uh, like that neutral win against Xavier was impressive. They have a neutral win against Iowa that holds up pretty well. They beat Miami a couple weeks ago, but like, uh, let's say Duke in their next three games, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Louisville. Let's say they lose one of those three games. Are they all of a sudden plunged into this bubble blue blood territory, the Kentucky and UNCR, or are they safely in? I don't think they're quite all the way down to there. They'd probably be fringing on a double-digit seed. I have them as an eight seed right now, and I think you hit on why. Um, they have five wins over the projected field right now for me, and I think that's just so much better than a lot of the bubble teams that we've talked about. Um, that gives them the edge for me. Brad, you I, too? Would, I would agree with that. Um, I do have them as a as my last seven seed at the moment, um, but they're just two and seven against Q one opponents. Um, and if they were to lose a game like Louisville, that's it wouldn't push them into like the last four in territory for me. But for me, they would be a double digit seed. Yep. Okay, a team that must hold serve then in their next three games that appear very winnable. Uh, Dagan, what's your yeah. final one? Well, actually, I ha we have two more because Fanta joined. Joined, we can't not ask Fanta's question. But the first one is from producer Trevor. Uh, he wants to know what this one's for you, Greg. Uh, he wants to know what Michigan CBI seed is, two or three. Uh, I think we're looking <laughs> at a three right now. But listen, if I can get Villanova on the opposite side of that bracket, if I can get revenge for 2018, the season's a win. I'm good with it. Fair enough. All right, now Fanta's question. This will be the last one. Then we'll go to games to watch. Uh, where do you guys stand on Charleston? Uh, if they don't win the CAA tournament. I think they're probably out if they don't win the CAA tournament, in my opinion. They're not going to have a single quad one win. They're going to have two quad three losses. Probably all their metrics are going to be sub 50. Um, their best metric right now is strength of record sitting at 44, and next they're at 56th in KPI. Uh, as much as I would love to see Charleston makes the field if they lost in, in, the, in the championship, I think that'd be a stretch. Um, although I would love, the, love to see the committee warrant a team that would only have four losses. Yeah, and I would agree with Lucas. Unfortunately, Charleston's best win is probably Virginia Tech. They needed Virginia Tech to be a tourney team. Um, and unfortunately, that has not happened. And it 
is probably not going to happen. And if you want to buy into even auto bids, you need Kent State to win the MAC. Correct. And I just don't think their metrics are good enough to be in that. They'll be in the conversation without a doubt, but I don't think it's good enough to get them in at large bid, unfortunately. To, to guys who are not buying into hashtag all caps, our city. Come on, guys. I mean, this I is, would love uh, to see it. I would love to see it. <laughs> it would be fun. I, I do just want to make the point. I think uh, almost a little bit of unluckiness for Charleston in the fact that some of their like high quality names that they beat in the non-conference have not held up great. When you look at a Davidson, a Colorado state, a Virginia tech, all teams that are maybe a little bit worse than they've been in the past few years uh, that would have really boosted them looking back on it. Eh, you lost those two to Hofstra and Drexel. And suddenly this is a much different conversation. And even, even Towson's not really given them the boost they could have out of the CAA and conference. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you for the question, John Fanton. Thank you, Dagan, for monitoring the YouTube chat. We appreciate everybody who is watching and participating in the show. That's one of our favorite parts of doing Fielding the 68. Again, we do this twice a week. We'll do it through the remainder of the season. This is Monday's show, obviously, and we'll be back on Friday because there is a lot of movement every single day in this sport, and it'll probably be a much different show in just four days from now. All right, I want to talk games to watch this week that will make that show on Friday feel so different. Uh, Lucas, let's start with you. Let's go. Uh, if you want to just pick one, that's fine. Give me one to two games that you've got your eye on for this week that will impact the bubble. You know, as it impacts the bubble, I think hmm, that's a good question. Probably Arkansas at Texas A&M. I think that's a win for Texas A&M. Can really push themselves into a bit safer positioning and would push Arkansas closer to that bubble conversation. That's probably one I look at. There's other teams that I think just kind of need to hold serve on the road, which are tough games like Oregon at Washington, Oregon can't afford to have that kind of loss. Boise state at Colorado state, same kind of thing. It's kind of those teams that are hanging on towards the bubble conversation. Again, Virginia tech at, at Georgia tech, all those are Wednesday night and they're big games that can kind of keep things teams in the mix or have them uh, suffer big losses. And it's always tough to win away from home. Brad, how about you? For me, um, Michigan at Wisconsin on Tuesday. Um, it's a huge game for both teams. Uh, for, for me, Wisconsin gets the win. They'll still be in the last four in, but they'll still be in the field. Michigan has a ton of opportunities down the stretch. So by no means are they out of anything. But you got to win. You got to beat some good teams. Um, and a win at Wisconsin would be a, right now, would be a quadrant two win. Um, but it would still be a quality win. So if they really plan on turning their season around, if unfortunately it didn't happen against Indiana, it almost did, uh, win at Wisconsin and, and go from there. And, and they could get themselves back in the mix because, hey, the bubble is weak. Um, so that's one game I'm looking at. Another two games that are like opposite are Wyoming and at New Mexico. Uh, so look, if New Mexico loses to Wyoming at home, is it going to happen? Not likely. But if it does happen, that might be the end of their season. Yeah. So that's that's one. Um, and then you have Florida State at Clemson, another team who is fighting to get back into the field, cannot afford a loss to Florida State at home. So when any, anytime you look at your schedule, people want to look at top 25 matchups or bubble matchups. It's A lot of times it's the bad team that you face that are the most important games. Now, if you want to talk bubble, Kentucky at Mississippi State is a huge one that we didn't mention. That is a this good is one. Is that true. is a good one. Yeah, to your point, Brad, it feels like this is the time of year where you could start to feel some nerviness from teams that are in the field, but know they can't afford even just one loss to throw them out of the field when they're playing an overmatched opponent. Uh, I want to ask you this. Obviously, you bring up Michigan. I'm going to ask about it. Is this an elimination game? I mean, not for Wisconsin. They're on the bubble. But is this a? if Michigan loses this game, we don't even need to bring them up on the show again. They're done. No, I don't. I don't think shows are you hosting any again the rest of the way? <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a elimination game for them because they still have the opportunities even after this. Um, but then all of a sudden, you really got to go win four out of your last five games. Um, so, like I said, if they if they were if they had games against Minnesota and Nebraska and nothing that could really you know move move the needle per se. Uh, then I'd say no, but they have the, the challenges there to get there 
to give them a nice boost. And with the bubble being as bad as it is, it's not the end of the season um, should they lose. Yeah, one thing I'd point out with Michigan that puts them in a bit of a tough spot is coming down the stretch, they still have both of their games against Wisconsin. Where like you'd love to say they can sweep those games and boost their their projections, but if they sweep those games, they also probably lose wins against the field because what they push Wisconsin out of the field and they keep Wisconsin quad two. That's a tough juggle for them. And that if they want to, I mean, obviously winning is better than losing those games, but it's tough. They aren't going to get as much quality out of those games as they might have um, had Wisconsin been in safer position. Yeah, that's a tough conundrum for them. Uh, at Rutgers, at Illinois, at Indiana, both Illinois and Indiana are senior night games that Michigan still has on their schedule. That is a tough uh, road to the finish. And uh, thoughts and prayers for Greg Gard, Joe Krabenhoff. Make sure that they are ready for the handshake line tomorrow night on Valentine's Day. There will be a lot of love in that building between the Wolverines and the Badgers in their first rematch since last year's fiasco. Uh, gentlemen, this was a blast. I always feel like I get a lot smarter over the course of 58 minutes on fielding the 68. Uh, I'm looking forward to Friday's episode again. 5 p.m. Eastern is when you can watch the show. We do it twice a week, the entire season. We also do the After Dark shows every single night. I'll be hosting tonight. Terrence Oglesby, Tyler Hansbro will be with us after a couple big, big 12 games on the schedule later tonight. Uh, gentlemen, again, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for watching. For Lucas Harkins, for Brad Wachtel, for Dagan Hughes, my name is Greg Waddell, and we'll see you Friday on Fielding the 68.